Welcome to the Women Living Healthy and On Purpose podcast, where the purpose is to empower women like yourself to become your very own wellness expert so that you can live the life that you desire, a life full of purpose, longevity, and vitality. We deeply believe in the power of community and conversations, gaining insights from influential health experts and wellness strategists all across the collective community who are willing to serve and inspire other women to live healthy and on purpose. This podcast is a space where women can share their stories, their expertise, and feel connected and healthy and heard. We talk about all types of topics, ranging from health and spirituality, holistic and integrative wellness, complementary and alternative therapies, homeopathic remedies, and energy healing. New episodes are released on Mondays and Thursdays with a blend of question and answer episodes and guest appearances. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Women Living Healthy and Zone Purpose podcast. This is your host, Dr. K, and as always, thank you for tuning in with me and for supporting the podcast, and just thank you for being here for episode number 11. So today's episode is entitled, How Trauma Impacts the Brain and Body, and Six Ways That We Can Begin to Heal from Trauma, Both Individually and Collectively. So I'm very excited about today's topic, and so thanks for tuning in with me. So over the last few years, I've been on this really deep spiritual journey, I would call it, and just kind of reflecting and just doing some stock of my life and just really trying to understand like on a more deeper level of like what it really means to be human in today's present day of living and just really trying to understand all the ways of like human suffering and trauma and traumatic grief and how it really affects us individually, but also that of how it affects us collectively, how it affects our relationships, how it affects our culture and our community that we live in. And I think trauma is such a buzzword lately, of course, because of the events that we've witnessed of COVID-19 and the mental illness crisis and that as well, opioid crisis and so forth, you know, but um, I think that is very interesting as we begin to have more conversations about trauma. And um, even for myself, like I look back over 20 years and being a nurse and just witnessing an insurmountable amount of trauma, you know, in the lives of the patients that I've taken care of for 20 years. And like I had my own uh, you know, conception. I conceptualize trauma from my own experiences, right? And so I really kind of, when I reflect back on my childhood, I had a great childhood. You know, of course, you know, had things that happened along the way that we may consider when we're younger as being traumatic, but I really never thought of trauma as being something that we all experience um, on an individual and a collective level. So I always thought that trauma was like just bad things that happen to people like war or murder or genocide or or violence or sexual abuse. And so, you know, even though trauma, yes, it's a part of all those things, but these events in itself is not what all trauma is. And so I really had to just kind of do a little bit of research and reflection as I really just have been kind of more... wanting to know more about human suffering and, and what trauma really does to impact that of uh, our physiology, our brain and our bodies, but also that of how we show up in life, right? And um, our connection with other people. And just as we're on a, a spiritual, you know, or a psychological journey of growing and evolving as human beings. And so I really um, kind of dug into the work of that of um many different um, best-selling authors, but one of them is Dr. Gabor Mate. Like Dr. Gabor Mate, he's a retired physician and he goes around and he does a lot of, you know, uh, documentaries and research and he write, 
writes books. He does a lot of education seminars on that uh, addiction and trauma and stress. And so I really um, came across one of his uh, recent documentaries that was entitled Wisdom of Trauma. And um, like this documentary really will, it, it opens up this whole new conversation about trauma as we begin to look at collective trauma and individual trauma. And so Dr. Matei really talks about how we all have had a, le- a level of trauma and uh, he within himself as well. And so he talks about how, you know, trauma, when we begin to look at the definition, it, it's a very ambiguous phenomena. And um, I think that the term is often used too loosely, but not enough. Like he talks about how trauma is really not what happens to us, but it's the wound that we sustain from the events that happen in our lives and um, that we never heal from. That's the true trauma. And um, that trauma is like this invisible force that shapes all of our lives, right? Individually and collectively, because we're actually a part of a traumatized system, whether that's our legal system, our education system, you know, our medical system and so forth. And so, you know, but Either way we look at it, either way we turn it, you know, trauma is a part of our day-to-day lives. It's a fact of life, and it shapes how we show up in life, how we live, the way we we love, the way that we make sense of the world. And um, so whether there's something that happens to us individually on a collective level, it affects us, right? And so... When we begin to look at um, trauma, one of my favorite quotes is by Breen Brown, and This uh, quote is, of all the things trauma takes away from us, the worst is our willingness or even our ability to be vulnerable. There's a reclaiming that has to happen. And so I think that this is so right on time. It's so true because I think that the way that we have been conceptualizing trauma, that we've kind of just labeled people and we isolate people by diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. And not that these things are not reality. But I think that we all have to take responsibility that, yeah, we all have a part in traumatic experiences and invoking trauma on other people and ourselves. And so I think there's just a whole new conversation that has to happen surrounding that of how trauma does really affect us and how it's affecting our physiology and what's happening at the brain and the body level as well. Because therefore, when we begin to dig deeper, then therefore we can find the healing. And a lot of the healing from trauma is reconnecting with our body, reconnecting with our relationships and love and compassion and so forth. So I'll talk about that today in today's episode. So Dr. Matei, he really explores really why when we think about Western medicine and our society and, um, you know, why we are facing such epidemics as we know it, right? Because he's he's a man who's dedicated his life to this, this stuff, and he's had a lot of trauma in his own life. And so as a result of, like, reading his books and listening to his documentary, I've come to realize myself that, yes, ha- trauma happens to all of us, right? And again, as I said, it happens to us individually, and it happens to us collectively as human beings. And so there are very few people who have not had some type of childhood wounds that perhaps are carried over into adulthood that we haven't healed from yet, right? And um, that influences how we act, how we behave, our perceptions and life and how we show up in our relationships and so forth. And um, so Dr. Matei gives us this new vision that pretty much every system within our society, whether that's our legal system, our educational system, our medical system, all of these systems need to be trauma-informed. We as parents need to be trauma-informed. As teachers, we need to be trauma-informed, right? As policymakers, we need to be trauma-informed, right? 
So it's not about just fixing these behaviors anymore. It's not about making diagnosis or even suppressing symptoms with, you know, with, with drugs. And also, it's not about judging people, you know, and isolating people to say, oh, you've been traumatized. Well, we've all been traumatized, right? That's the approach that I'm looking at now when I'm talking today. It's about all of us collectively, not just individually, right? So we have to really start to look beneath the surface and understanding the sources of even people who get addicted to drugs or have troubling behaviors. And even looking at diseases, like these are just results of our our souls, like our souls have been wounded. Right. And so Dr. Matei really points this out that, you know, the path of healing is about that of collective healing. But it starts with us individually. We have to do our own healing and our own, you know, shadow work and our own, you know, child wound work. Right. (laughs) You know, but I think that as we begin and has as he suggests, As we work our way through trauma and we resolve it and we become friends with it, you know, and we learn from it, there's a lot of wisdom and knowledge in that, right? And um, so I think in our human nature and our connections with each other, there's an opportunity that we can learn from our experiences. There's a lot of wisdom in our trauma. Not that, of course, we want trauma to happen, but when it does and we work through it and we gain the resources and the agency to do that, there's a lot of power and wisdom in just that. But now, you know, when we begin to to look at what happens with trauma, what happens in the brain and what, you know, happens in our bodies and what happens with our emotions and why we can't begin to heal is because with trauma, we become disconnected. We've become disconnected from our emotions, from our feelings, from each other. And a lot of us, you know, don't have the coping mechanism, don't have the agency or the resources to move through that. And so that's why you see a lot of the mental illness, this epidemic of, you know, opioid abuse and drug addictions. And because people are just trying to cope because their soul has been wounded. So we can't judge that, right? We can't judge that. We have to really begin to recognize that maybe we're part of the problem by ignoring it and not having the right conversations behind that and reducing the stigma of trauma and mental illness, right? And so we begin to think about, you know, even as the wisdom of trauma, like, you know, even there, there's grace in our trauma. If we begin to, to look at it from a different perspective, knowing that the body, the way that the body has been created like it has a capacity the nervous system has a capacity to shut down our emotions when it's experiencing a uh, you know a level of unbearable stress or events that happen right so when we begin to shut down our emotions then we can't look at it like okay we're just disassociating from everything or everyone but it's the way that our bodies are designed to protect ourselves from this unbearable trauma that's happened, right? So it's the body's protection. So it's not necessarily the traumatic event that's happening. It's just, you know, our body's protection against the emotional impact when that impact is unbearable, right? And so there's a lot of, you know, when we begin to acknowledge that there is wisdom within our trauma, then that's really where the healing begins, Right. And so but we know that, you know, trauma, there's just no quick fix and it always can't just be fixed or or conquered, you know. But what I think that more importantly, people are understanding is that trauma can be supported with love and compassion and connection with other people. 
trauma can be supported by just listening. Trauma can be supported by being heard and supporting it, being held and comforted in the cradle of security. That's why there's a lot of trauma in the first place, because we didn't have our basic physical needs as human beings met when we were children. Right. And, you know, or even as adults. But we know a lot of trauma does stem from our childhood. And um, but, you know, and trauma itself can be healed when we just have the conversations about it. I mean, just having the conversations and why I want to talk about it today, you know, having these conversations, it really does give us hope that we are not alone. And then again, that trauma happens to each and every one of us. So, yeah, you're not alone. Right. So each and every day we are traumatized by the lack of trauma informed educational systems. We are traumatized because there's a lack of trauma informed political systems. We are traumatized by the lack of, you know, informed legal systems and medical systems and informed parenting, you know, like all of these things, we have to look at it from a holistic perspective, right? And begin to integrate those, you know, resources and tools so that we can navigate and again, a part of that begins with opening up the conversation, being more aware of what really is going on, you know, within our psychology, but also our physiology and the reactions that we're having from trauma. It's a physical response that our human souls have been fragmented. And so, you know, we are very sensitive to things that, of course, as human beings that we need on a basic level, and that's love and security. And when those things don't happen, yeah, we, we're traumatized, or when we feel that we're less than as a human being, we become traumatized, right? Or we are oppressed or whatever that may be. So there's a lot of conversations that you're starting to see more. And you can just think back of, um, I think maybe a few weeks ago when Prince Henry came out and he was talking about the trauma behind that of the death of his mother. You know, so I think that's just one example of these conversations that at one point, like 15 years ago, these conversations were inconceivable. <laughs> like, you know, we wouldn't dare have these conversations. But there's there's more awareness that's widening and spreading and deepening, you know, because now we're recognizing that trauma is embedded in every part of our systems and our culture. So we can't escape the reality of trauma unless we actually come full face with it and come into a more understanding, compassionate and trauma to, uh, trauma sensitive culture. Because, yeah, we know trauma is multigenerational and um, it carries on from one generation to the next. And so where do we break the cycle? Right. And it's yeah, it's going to hit some people in more dire fashions than others. But it's not possible to begin to heal our society from trauma until we fully acknowledge the trauma in the first place and that we acknowledge the trauma that we perpetuate on others. Right. Or that we suffer ourselves and that trauma infuses every part of our culture. Healing really can't begin without acknowledging what is happening. So, you know, there are stories that haven't been told that need to be told and need to be witnessed. You know, and our challenges and our pains don't have to live in the dark. I mean, we should encourage people to be vulnerable. And even though vulnerable, there's a a level of fear with that. But even through the fear, we can desensitize from that the more we talk about it. You know, so vulnerability should be something that we uh, perceive to be healthy and encouraged within our children, you know, and even as adults. There's a lot of conversations now Um, about that of resilience, right? And so we know, like, with resilience, this is the capacity for us to bounce back from pressure, right? And so 
we can normally back, bounce back from resilience or from events that happen to our lives um, just out of the resilience of a part of our natural nature, you know. And so, but that natural nature is actually what we don't know is invoked by our environment. It's so it's more social than individual, right? And so when we understand that resilience really shows up when we are connected to other people, you know, then that is how we are going to able to be able to move and heal through this trauma because therefore we recognize that we really can't bounce back unless we are within community and we are connected with others. This is a social quality more than an individual trait. Resilience is. So, I mean, there's things that we can do to invoke resilience in each other. So we're not alone, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that we can do to promote uh, resilience in others just by being a part of that community. And um, so there's a, there's a lot of other research that I find very interesting in terms of the, the polyvagal theory by Stephen Porges. He's the one that kind of coined this idea. And um, he looks at it from different angles of treating trauma, anxiety, depression, and autism. And um, so this uh, polyvagal therapy has been adopted by many uh, psychotherapists and uh, psychiatrists and many clinicians around the world. And um, it's really providing some new insights in how we can really begin to train, retrain our nervous system, you know, to mediate a lot of the effects of trauma. And so that's what we begin to, we have to begin to understand that, again, a lot of the effects of trauma and how it affects our brain is because our our automatic nervous system has been um, disrupted. And this all goes all the way to the parts of our brains that connect with social engagement and being able to trust and have intimacy with another, like all that shuts down when we are under trauma. So now I want to kind of shift gears and talk about what actually occurs in the brain and the body as a result of trauma. And so Dr. Bezel van der Kolk, he is um, like one of the world's foremost experts on trauma. And um, he actually authored one of the best-selling books, The Body Keeps the Score. So like over the last three decades, he's been working with trauma survivors. And he's really been able to use the the latest scientific uh, research surrounding that of really how trauma does affect and reshape both our, our body and our brains and how essentially this reshaping or this dysregulation compromises how we are able to have this capacity for, for feeling pleasure and having this sense of attachment and engagement with one another and having a level of self-control and, and trust as well. So he explores a lot of innovative treatments from that of neural feedback to meditation to somatic therapy uh, to, to yoga. And um, so there's an offering here of new pathways that we can really recover that of, um, of activating our brain's natural neuroplasticity to form new neural networks within parts of our brain and also between our brain and our body so that we don't have these um, physiological activation responses from from trauma. And um, so we know that there are several areas now mainly that are affected in the brain from trauma. And it can make people have really a difficult time living day to day, depending on the extent of the trauma. And so people often will either somewhat disconnect from their body when there's been extensive trauma, like, you know, sexual child abuse, and or they may feel even trapped within their body and or not being able to manage their emotions or 
feeling that they're not able to cope. And even years, right, even years after the immediate aftermath of the the event itself or the traumatic event itself. And so especially with that of chronic trauma, you know, I mean, this is actually keeping our autonomic nervous system on overdrive, right? And so there's always a stress response that's that's happening. So yeah, this damages a part of our brain and causes disconnect within our body. And so we now know that there are mainly three areas of the brain that are particularly affected, and that is the hippocampus, the amygdala, or the limbic brain, and the prefrontal cortex, and also the brainstem as well. So just uh, not to go too much into the physiology of what's happening, but now that we do know is that in learning the neuroscience, the reason why it's important to know that is because now we know that it's not just something we're imagining as we're feeling these symptoms of, of trauma, but there is a physiological process that is happening within our brain and our body that is causing these symptoms and that we essentially do have more control over these processes as we learn to reestablish these brain pathways and we reestablish the coherence between the neural pathways between the brain and the body. And we essentially learn how to de-escalate parts of the brain that are overactive because of trauma. And um, so when we learn these things, then we can basically, you know, align with resources and have an agency to know that we can navigate through it, right? And that we can learn how to de-escalate our physiological responses as a re- as related to the trauma, right? And as many of us kind of relive that trauma over and over again. So the areas of the brain affected, the hippocampus, the amygdala, the prefrontal cortex, like, so we know that with a stress response, we know that this is um, the cortisol and adrenaline is a natural part of responding to a threat and what's released in our bloodstream. And so it's a part of our energy. So we may have to, to go into a state of fight or flight, right? So, but the problem is what happens with, um, especially with chronic trauma, then the cortisol level and the adrenaline remains high over time. And especially this is for people who have really deep childhood um, abuse, especially, or severe traumatic experiences. There's a level of chronic trauma if there has not been healing of the trauma. And um, so what happens with chronic trauma as a release of cortisol and adrenaline over time, this is actually going to reduce parts or damage parts of the brain. And so particularly it damages that of the hippocampus. The hippocampus campus becomes smaller. Therefore, we don't have the ability to to really engage in that of new learning and and memory. Our memory is affected as well. And um, and also adrenaline, as that stays in the bloodstream, it really cranks up this area of the brain, the limbic system, the amygdala. And it's the amygdala that is in overdrive and that causes a lot of our fear and anxiety as a relation to to trauma. And so as we are constantly in this fight or flight and these stress response hormones are constant, you know, if we haven't really processed our trauma, then we are in this constant state of of you know, a fight or flight, basically, you know, our nervous system becomes dysregulated. And it's our autonomic nervous system that we have to regulate and rewire, you know, in order to not have these um, physiological responses from from the trauma. And um, so through that of regulation, 
through yoga, through mindfulness, being in the present moment, you know, all of these treatments really do allow us to come into a state of calm so that we can suppress the overactivity of the amygdala that keeps us in fear and keeps us, you know, having these triggers and reliving these traumatic experiences over and over again and really allow us then, therefore, to um, to turn on those areas of the brain that have been suppressed from trauma and especially our memory. So with trauma, a lot of times there's a walling off of the experience that hasn't been fully integrated within our memory. And that's, that's what we essentially want to happen so that we are not having these triggers that um, are coming from this memory that hasn't been fully integrated because parts of that brain has been damaged or are turned off, right? And so basically what we are seeing now is that um, there's a lot of different treatments, of course, for for trauma. And through conventional measures of um, pharmacology, of course, you know, drugs and um, psychotherapy, um, EDMR, family systems therapy, exposure therapy, cognitive behavior therapy. I mean, there's just so many different, you know, treatments. I really want to kind of talk about today six ways that we can begin to heal from not only our individual trauma, but also our collective trauma as well. And essentially how we can begin the work connecting or reconnecting through retraining our our neural pathways, how we can regulate our autonomic nervous system as well. Like I mentioned, we want to create healthy pathways between our mind and our body. So there is some coherence and we are not having these, um, you know, physio- uh, physiological symptoms from from our trauma. So there are ways that we can retrain the brain. And so number one, we want to harness the present moment, really come into the state of mindfulness. And mindfulness is about being in the present moment. And we want to do that in a safe space. So although that we know that trauma really is kind of, it lives and lurks in our subconscious mind, and it often is up underneath the surface, we can really feel it palpable, right? And because it's it it really seeps into our relationships and how we deal with our emotions and our perspectives and our beliefs and just how we you know feel a sense of that we have control in our life and the livelihood that we feel like we feel the effects of trauma but we don't always recognize it as trauma or we don't basically acknowledge that it's the trauma that's causing us to behave in certain ways or respond in certain ways in our lives. And so this trauma, even though we can feel it palpably, (laughs) you know, and we can sense it among each other, right? I mean, it affects our relationships and how we connect with other people. It shows, I mean, it can, it it basically shows in the way that we present ourselves to the world, but often it lives very subtly underneath the surface. So it's about um, coming to this present moment, really being aware and acknowledging, but also doing that in a very safe space in the present moment. And so the foundation of effective trauma healing is really about being in the present moment. It's not being in the past where the traumatic experience took place and it's not being, you know, in the future and worrying about what's going to happen from one day to the next. So mindfulness whether that's through mindfulness practice or mindfulness meditation, this really does teach our bodies and our brain that we are in a safe space in the present moment, just being in the present moment, right? And um, so when we basically research from neuroscience 
in looking at trauma, there's a consistent, you know, focus on that safety in the present moment really can reduce that of some of the symptoms that we feel as a result of trauma. And that is overwhelming emotions, even nightmares, the anxiety, having this hypervigilant nervous system, flashbacks, the triggers, right? And so this skill we can learn through mindfulness being in the present moment, it also is going to shrink the amygdala. Okay, so again, the amygdala is what's over-responsive and causes our fear and anxiety. It's overactive after trauma or through chronic trauma. So we can reduce a lot of our trauma symptomology just by being mindful in the present moment. This is going to have a lot of effect on our brain and shrinks the amygdala, right? So there's a lot of research and consensus among many trauma experts that mindfulness really does impact, you know, trauma and helps us to deactivate regions of the brain that are perpetuating our traumatic symptoms and our, our triggers. Number two, engaging in somatic therapies such as trauma-informed yoga. So we know that the mind and the body are deeply interconnected. And so a lot of the memory from the trauma we store in our muscles within, you know, our tissues, within our cells, within the body. So many effects of trauma are held in the body. And um, so often what we see from especially that of uh, trauma survivors, ones that have really had some kind of traumatic childhood abuse, for example, or sexual abuse, they tend to disconnect from their bodies as a way to protect themselves and distance themselves from the emotional pain and as well the body sensations, right? So there's a lot of research behind mind or uh, body-oriented type of therapies such as trauma-informed yoga and other type of somatic body-focused therapy. And so when I talk about polyvagal therapy, this is an excellent kind of theory or platform in which we can understand how we have to come back into this regulation of the autonomic nervous system. And so polyvagal therapy is used a lot with trauma-informed yoga because it's a, a way that we can reconnect those neural pathways in the brain to reconnect with our body and heal our trauma. And so we know that just from, you know, uh, taking this holistic perspective and really focusing on our entire being because somatic practices and yoga practices, these are just not exercise or stretching. Yoga is actually union of the mind, the body, and the spirit. So it's taking into account, you know, the thoughts that we have, the emotions, and also the physical sensations that we're feeling, you know, um, and this is all a part of the practice of uh, trauma-informed yoga and really just coming into a, a very trustful and respectful um, relationship with one. Like I do body-mind therapy. I do trauma-informed yoga with my clients. And so I can really kind of, you know, really come into, it's very important for me to, to hold space for my clients who may feel unsafe, of course, and who have had a trauma-related experience. Again, we all have, you know, to some degree. So I really treat all of my clients, you know, in this, this space, right, to really, where they really feel this respectful, um, they feel trust from me, and they really can come into this safe space. But um, in doing so, I can really kind of focus or make them come aware, more aware of even through the asanas, through the movement, um, that even like through being present in the body as we're doing gentle flow yoga, for example, and using our breath and as well meditation combined with the yoga and the breathing and the asanas or the postures, there's a significant ability here to really connect the, the pathways of the brain and the body. 
that have been disconnected from trauma. So just deep breathing and focusing on our exhale really does help ease the mind and relaxes the the nervous system that again is hypervigilant because of the trauma. So even when we focus attention on our breathing and parts of the body, even when we're just meditating, this actually is retraining the autonomic nervous system as well to to be you know, um, less in this hypervigilant state and actually kind of helps control the amygdala that's all out of whack as well, right? So this practice of, of, of yoga can be combined with the mindfulness, being in the present moment. It can even be somatic, you know, therapy can even be like Tai Chi or Qigong. Um, you know, these are other ways that can bring you back into a state of calm and uh, retrain the nervous system. So there's... Um, there's a lot of um, uh, groundbreaking research, and I really love this book by uh, Resma Menakem. And he, had, he actually authored this book entitled My Grandmother's Hands. This book is amazing if you are really looking at uh, collective um, trauma and that that's involved with um, um, uh, racial justice. And so he is actually a, a therapist that really is aiming to kind of change this whole trajectory and direction of movement for racial justice. And he specializes in trauma and somatic therapy and body centered psychotherapy and also violence prevention. So his book, he actually examines like the damage that's been caused by racism, specifically in America. And um, from and he takes this perspective of trauma and this body-centered psychology approach. And so he talks about our instinct, you know, to be in this fight or flight, you know, this hypervigilant autonomic nervous system response as a result of this infliction on that of racism that's plagued our society. And um, so he argues, you know, that until we really come into healing our generational, you know, trauma um, from racism, <clears throat> both on you know, not just African-Americans, but even looking at, you know, other races and white supremacy that we all have to come together in this um, level of psychotherapy or um, somatic therapy because there's an energy that we're holding that's a res result from, from racism that we have to, to work through from this body perspective, not just okay, we're going to sit down and have these conversations. No, there's an energy that we all have held for generations, from generation to gen generation, that's really deeply embedded in our culture and in our body. So he talks about this step-by-step -step healing process that's really based on the latest neuroscience and the somatic healing methods, such as yoga. And um, so he talks about like how racism is embedded in the body. He even talks about like the low birth rate in black women, how that's embedded in the body and why we do have low birth rate more common in black women and how there's a higher rate of infant mortality in black women, how there's a higher rate of vaginal fibroids in black women. I mean, it's like all apart of this negative energy that's been held for over 250 years of where black women's bodies have been raped and, um, you know, and brutalized and how this has basically restructured, restructured the whole autonomic nervous system and how there's this chronic cortisol release because we haven't healed, you know, from this multicultural or multi-generational trauma that has, you know, been going on for for hundreds of years, right? So he, he takes this approach of how we really have to just come into this, this state of awareness and pause and really get into the body's wisdom and understand its discernment 
government of what is trying to piece back together from from years and years of, of cultural and generational um, drama. And so he also talks about the energy that we have the ability to connect heart to heart with each other, you know, from every race, just sitting how sitting and, and, and being in these somatic practices of, of yoga, for example, we don't know that we're connected energetically, like heart to heart, there's a coherence there. And there's an opportunity for healing on a more deeper level. Well, we come together and we hold those spaces for each other because we have become so numbified and disconnected from each other, you know, as a human race. And so this whole collective trauma is really about that we are also not individually affected by trauma. We're collectively affected by trauma and we hold this trauma within our bodies. There was another book by Thomas Hubel. And his book is entitled Healing Collective Trauma, A Process for Integrating Our Intergenerational and Cultural Wounds. So he questions in this book, very good book, what can we do when we carry scars not only in our body, but within our soul? Like, wow, that goes deep. And what happens when those spiritual wounds exist, not just in me, but in everyone in my family, within my community, and even beyond? So he has spent years investigating why you know, this disconnected trauma can seed its way through our communities and across generations. So very interesting, very interesting work. All right. So my next point is engaging in the power of art, dance, singing, movement, and sound. So like all of these healing arts, like our indigenous cultures have long known the power of art, dance, singing, and movement, and sound are like powerful ways to heal the mind, the body, and spirit. And so these practices are really complex and multidimensional when you start to look at like this connection between ourselves and connecting to our community. So this has been a fabric of healing for many humans along, you know, many generations, like dance, moving and singing and chanting. These are like cross-cultural, like historic practices that have been celebrated in terms of rites of passage and or, you know, just uh, grieving losses. You know, it's a way that many cultures have used to cleanse the body and the soul of not only the individual, but the collective community, right? And so these are like practices that have been integral to the, the harmony of the whole, taking into, into account the whole. Um, and so many indigenous cultures have used these healing arts to instill resilience, whether that was to withstand harsh brutality, oppression, or they were battling some type of disease, what have you. So we know that these arts, these healing therapies of movement, singing and dancing, there's like this opportunity for deep spiritual, cultural, and community healing here um, on a deep level. And so the body, you know, experiences this um, somewhat of an energetic lift through the, the movement of dance and also the rhythm of the music. Like we automatically as human beings resonate with music and a certain frequency. You can think about just the heartbeat of the mother when we're in the womb. We don't realize that there's so much healing there just in that resonance of that tone and even the natural frequency of the universal tone, like listening to music 
really does shape the the physiology shapes our physiology and our psychology as well. So there's a lot of opportunity for healing emotionally um, for ourselves and connecting with others through music. And this is going to help retrain the brain and the physiological processes or manifestations of trauma to calm the nervous system. And so the next one, shame and guilt, reducing or releasing shame and guilt. So I think that we have a somewhat of an identity crisis when we come into states of, of trauma, and there's need for a lot of self-compassion. One of my favorite quotes is, shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we are capable of change. This is Breen Brown. So many of us carry the pain of, of a wounded child or the pain of oppression, the pain you know, that has never been dealt with or even never heard or received because, again, we live in a culture that has been traumatized within itself. And there's a culture that fails to see and truly understand the root cause of our pains and our addictions that are consequence of, of trauma. You know, so I think it's all about people are trying to ex- escape from the pain in their lives is what's what's going on. So traumatic events, you know, can make us feel a variety of emotions. And that one of the most important ones is is shame. Along with that, a fear, anxiety and anger and guilt and sadness and all that. But, um, you know, although many of these other emotions can be distressing, I think it's shame that in particular is a difficult emotion to cope with after trauma because we sometimes become stuck in our own trauma imprint. And studies have consistently found a strong uh, relationship between shame and the experiences of trauma, specifically that of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? So there's a lot of shame, you know, when... um, we may feel led to engage in unhealthy coping strategies, um, or there's a sense of avoidance or self-destructive behaviors, which can interfere with our ability to process our emotions that are associated with a traumatic event from the first place, right? And um, so I think that many people feel like they're stuck, or this experience of shame is related to that of weakness. Like we relate our experience of trauma as we see it as being or we perceive it as being a weakness. And so we kind of look at and we become shameful of ourselves knowing or not thinking that we're enough or that we are worthy. And so a lot of people feel this as a result of traumatic experiences. And there's, you know, um, you know, a lot of stigma behind experiencing traumatic events because of the shame, right? And um, so I think that it's this shame that really prevents us from seeking out the, the care that we need or connecting with people. And sometimes we feel stuck. And so I think, you know, I tell clients that it's not that you're stuck. It's just this traumatic imprint that you have created that needs to be unprinted, if that's a word. <laughs> so this imprint is really a reminder and an opportunity that, yeah, maybe we haven't just quite figured everything out yet or we just haven't healed yet. Or maybe there's a lack of trust that we're holding for ourselves or for others. So this doesn't mean that we're stuck because when we start to think about it, you know, there it's like when people come into a state of awakening, we're always healing. Like life is a journey. There's no end point, right? This trauma, as we may call it, is just a line on the page, you know, that keeps extending and extending. And so there's no end point really to life, right? So it's just giving ourselves compassion and patience. 
You know, shame is about accusing ourselves for not doing enough work to prevent what has happened. And that's not what, what, what we need to play out as a story in our mind. Well, we need to care for ourselves instead through self-compassion, through coping strategies that are going to be useful, right? And um, so there's a lot of things that we can do to reduce shame. And whether that's just retraining the brain through cognitive processing, for example, or just, you know, coming into an awareness and really coming into the present moment again through somatic experiences. So and understanding the neurobiology behind, you know, what's happening with our brains and trauma, knowing that in, you're not alone, right? It, that in itself is um, a way to come out of this that you don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to be ashamed because of what has happened to you, right? Because it's not what has happened to you that is the problem. It's how we respond to what has happened to us. That's, that's really what we have to work on. So the next, power of telling your story. So another quote that I love, if we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. This is Breen Brown again. I love her quotes. So it probably goes without saying that not everyone is ideal in terms of sharing our trauma with, but um, some people may have a hard time, you know, hearing your trauma based on their own trauma, right? Or some may respond with criticism or may just not have validating responses. So we have to choose carefully the company that we keep and who we tell our stories to. There has to be a safe space and there has to be understanding and compassion. And timing is also important as well. So it may take time before we're at the point where we can really open up and to explain or put our trauma into words if we ever can, right? So that's all also a part of coming in tune with the wisdom of the body, right? Because it holds its own intelligence and understanding of what's happened, even if we can't put it into words. So it's about being patient with ourselves, recognizing that maybe the right time is is what's important, right? Maybe not now, but that doesn't mean never, right? So it's about choosing the right time to decide when we're ready to to share our story and who we share that story with. But again, it becomes down to comes down to having a safe space, someone or a group that is going to be compassionate and understanding, right? And um, so I think that in the first place, a lot of our trauma stems from that we don't have these supportive, emotional, caring, and compassionate experiences, even as young children, that has caused a lot of our, our trauma and that we felt like our needs weren't met. This can be very damaging from, very, from a very young age. So there has to be a, such a, a, a reattachment, right? And um, so we have to get out of that we are in threat, teaching our nervous system that we don't have to be in threat or that we're in danger by connecting and attaching with other people, right? And um, really relying on the care and support of others, it really can help us to regulate our fear and come out of this negative self-concept of ourselves that lingers after trauma, right? And um, so I think that it can be very painful to revisit the memory of trauma, but I think that when we don't talk about it, then it continues to haunt us over and over again if we try to avoid it. So much research has shown that, you know, it's best to express your trauma because over time, then the the, the experience becomes less threatening the more that we, we talk about it. And again, 
it really needs to be done in a safe space. And because, yes, sometimes we can potentiate a, a trigger of trauma. And so that's why it's important for these spaces to be done in, you know, the right time and with a lot of support instead of having shame and criticism, right? And so, but I think that keeping trauma a secret, it reinforces the feeling that there's something shameful about what has happened to us. So it's about having, you know, those conversations. And um, I think that's that's very important. So. I talked about um, the documentary, The Wisdom of Trauma. So they really talked about the importance of us to really have this culture and create this culture, you know, narrative that really helps us to hold space for each other, you know, and hold space for our deeper wounds that we all experience and that this safety is, is much needed, right? And that we're traumatized when the safe space is unmet. So I think it's, it's really about holding the vision for us collectively that we can break free of cycles of trauma and become more open about it and more inclusive. And it really starts with us, truly. It starts with when we allow our, room, our wounds to, to teach us something, when we can become more in the state of self-love and compassion for ourselves and others and to truly open our hearts and our innate wisdom, then therefore begins to, to shine through the wounds that have developed because of our, our trauma, right? And so we can do that collectively. And uh, really, you know, I think that we carry this backlog of pain that has just essentially never been heard because we miss the narratives to help us move through that through sharing our story and just witnessing the stories of others and holding that space for each other's deepest wounds. And lastly, number six, taking stock and taking time for reflection and journaling. So I think that we can really ease our stress from traumatic events, whether that is acute or chronic uh, trauma, by just taking a moment to pause and just kind of step back and take stock of our lives and what the trauma actually means for us. Again, if that's even individually or collectively, and just really concentrating on what's most important in our lives. And I think journaling is very effective to take stock of our lives and so that we can reflect and, and look back on, you know, where we were compared to where we are now and to celebrate those small victories and to, you know, also just reassess our personal goals and come up with a plan to to reduce our stress, especially, and evaluate just how much stress that we're under from day to day. I mean, that complicates this hypervigilant state that we commonly are within trauma or chronic trauma. And um, so, you know, all of these things are going to be very important to, you know, to take better care of ourselves and even engaging in self-care, taking care of our bodies, taking care of, you know, getting the right sleep, eating the right foods, you know, getting the right exercise and controlling our stress are going to be very important in terms of healing trauma. And so in conclusion, I think there's a lot of things that we can do. And I think that's what's the most important is that once we realize that, you know, we don't have to remain in these constant states of anxiety that comes along with trauma, that we do have innate, you know, abilities to retrain our nervous system, and we do have some agency and resources that uh, we can do that, right? And um, so, that, so you know, rather than just being at the mercy of old traumas and these memories, and, you know, just from day to day, we can really take efforts to really synchronize our nervous systems and really connect to each other more on a, a personal level. And so the things that I've mentioned today, 
in terms of six ways that we can heal individually and collectively, that um, goes into number one, harnessing the present moment, being mindful in a safe space. Number two, engaging in somatic therapy or like trauma-informed yoga so we can reconnect the, the body and the brain and having that level of coherence and really moving that negative energy that tends to accumulate within our, our muscles, our cells, our tissues, and all of that that goes along with multi-generational you know, trauma that goes from you know, goes unhealed from generation to generation. And then uh, number three was looking at engaging in the power of healing arts through dance, singing, movement, and sound. There's so much healing there. And, you know, again, our indigenous cultures really were onto something, you know, in terms of, of healing um, individual and cultural um, trauma. And then number four, shame and guilt, releasing that and recognizing that we don't have to have shame because it's not about the trauma that's happened. It's just how we respond to it. Right. And number five, telling the power of our story, being willing to be vulnerable and um, connecting with others in a safe space who, you know, perhaps are experiencing the same, you know, trauma or are on this healing journey to heal from trauma as well. And number six, taking stock through journaling and reflection. That's really going to help us to to see where we are and where we have been and to celebrate that growth that uh, we are all on this healing journey and there's a lot of wisdom in our trauma that we can learn from so I think that uh, once we realize that, then we can work our way through trauma and grief and so that we can resolve it, right? And uh, become friends with our own trauma and not let it control us. But again, that there's a lot of knowledge and wisdom about the nature of who we are as human beings and as spiritual beings on this human experience and our human nature and our relationships and connections in the world that we live in. So thank you for tuning in with me for another episode right here on the Women Living Healthy and On Purpose podcast. So please go ahead and click follow or subscribe and also leave a review. And we thank you. We thank you for supporting what we're doing here on the podcast. And please view the the show notes for all the links and the quotes. And also come on over to Facebook and join our private Facebook group community designed just for women so we can extend on our conversations about the topics that we discuss here. So thank you. And I look forward to connecting to you next time.